Welcome to Under the Oaks. I'm Lauren Thompson. And I'm Pastor Trent Sari. Welcome back. Uh, this is episode number 19. We're coming to you live from WKLC Studios in the inner city uh, district, if you will, of Pleasant Springs, the township of Pleasant Springs, Wisconsin. It's huge. It is big. It's a very big metro area. We started a discussion last time about baptism. We, we defined a sacrament as a sacred act instituted by God himself in which there are certain external means connected with his word and by which or through which God offers, gives, seals, bestows to us the forgiveness of sins which Christ has earned for us. We said by that definition, in the Lutheran Church we recognize two sacraments, baptism, which we're talking about today, and the Lord's Supper. We said that in general there are two different directional understandings that Christians often have uh, when we look at the denominations and different teachings of the churches out there that are radically different than one another when it comes to baptism. So some people will say, well, our church teaches baptism, you baptize, what's the difference? It's all the same. The Bible says we should do it, we do it, you do it. Uh, Okay, but remember, by our definition, baptism is something that God works through for the benefit of man. And in the viewpoint of many Christians out there, baptism is something, simply something that we do for God. We offer to God. We say it's almost sacrificial. We do it in obedience, but it doesn't really bring us anything. It doesn't bestow any blessing upon us or anything like that. And I think when you think about that, you'll agree that that's a, those two positions are radically different than one another. In fact, they're kind of opposites. One says this is God's work. The other one says this is man's work. And they both can't be true, can they? No. Nope. Uh, to say that uh, they're the same is really to rob God of his glory, of his work, and to ascribe what he does to man or to empty the gift that he wants to bestow. So, uh, that being said, we kind of ended with with that that thought, but today we want to go a little bit more in depth and see, I mentioned last time that the Bible is incredibly consistent. When it talks about baptism, it's, it's very consistent about how it speaks in regard to, is God working through it, or is this something that I'm simply doing for God? Is it symbolic? Does it merely represent something, or does it actually give, bestow, and seal to us these blessings of Christ? Now, I've mentioned in a previous episode that when it comes to salvation one, most Christians agree with each other. Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. It's through him, his life, death, resurrection, that we have a redeemer, we have a savior from sin. So most Christians agree with that side of the equation, so to speak, salvation one. Where we find radical differences is on the other side. How does that completed salvation come to us? How does God bring us the forgiveness of sins, life, and eternal salvation that Jesus has won for all people? And there you'll find very big differences within Christianity. And again, everybody can't be right. I think, again, when you look at it, there are those who would teach that we must ascend the ladder to God, so to speak, storm the gates of heaven and grab those treasures for ourselves. I don't know how. Uh, Some people would say you do that through prayer. Remember, we talked about how prayer is really a sacrificial thing. It's offered up to God, 
but it doesn't say that this is necessarily where God brings us the forgiveness of sins. Certainly God pra- promises to answer prayer. We, t- we think it's a great privilege and uh, blessing given to us from God, but nowhere does the Bible say that through prayer uh, we're, we're given forgiveness, life, and salvation. Rather, those things come through the gospel. So I think you'll agree that we have to really, really look at what the scriptures teach so that we have a proper understanding of what is man's work and what is God's work. And ultimately, this ends up being where does the comfort, where is the foundation of your faith reside? What can faith cling to objectively and say, I know I'm saved because this. That was me pounding on the table. So faith has to cling to something. What does it cling to? And that's kind of, I guess, another good guiding question for us. A lot of people would say, well, it, it clings to the emotions in my heart. I know I'm saved because I've got this inner burning in my heart for God and I love him and uh, I also had this conversion experience or I, I, one time I had a, a vision or a dream or I had this warm, fuzzy feeling come over me and I know I was converted or I said a prayer and asked God, I invited God into my heart. Uh, that's fairly common to speak in that kind of way in much of Christianity today. That's not the way early Christians spoke and it's certainly not the way the Bible speaks. So let's, let's take a look at how the Bible speaks about baptism and again ask ourselves, is this something that God is doing for us? Or is this something that we're simply doing for God? Is it something that really bestows what it says, or is it simply a symbolic work? So Galatians 3, St. Paul writes, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So again, we don't, we don't negate that we are saved through faith. Lutheran certainly, we would say we're champions of the teaching that we're justified by grace through faith. Faith being the empty hand that receives the blessings that God gives. But where does God give those blessings? Well, Paul says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ, have put on Christ. So interesting, you know, baptized is in the passive there, it's something that was done to us. We could talk about birth, right? Did you birth yourself? Did you give birth to yourself? No, your mother did, right? She gave birth to you. She gave you life, so to speak. You were passive. You were born. You didn't birth yourself. I didn't have much to do with it. Yeah, same thing with baptized baptism. You were baptized. You didn't you didn't, you know, baptize yourself. Somebody baptized you and put you into Christ, so to speak. We'll, we'll get more to that. Acts chapter 2 was a verse that we talked about last time uh, where Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost and the people are cut to the heart and they asked, you know, what must we do to be saved? And you know, his answer was basically repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. So let's put those two things together that we've heard thus far. In baptism, we're clothed with Christ and our sins are forgiven. That's what Peter says there. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And that's not unique to Peter or uh, the book of Acts even. Acts, obviously, later in Acts chapter 22, we hear the command, rise and be baptized, wash away your sins. He doesn't say, you know, be baptized and symbolically this is what's going to happen to you or let this give you a picture of your sins being washed away or let this imagine, you know, how this is doing this or whatever. No, it says be baptized to wash away your sins. Again, I, I, I would say that there are a lot of Christians out there that would say baptism doesn't save you. Faith saves you. In fact, I know there are people even within the Lutheran Church that struggle with that thought. 
Well, baptism can't save you. Only faith saves you. But, but again, I think they're pitting two things against each other that, that the Bible itself doesn't. We, we agree that we're saved through faith, faith being the empty hand which, God, which receives the gifts God gives. But where does God give those gifts? Right? In the gospel. The gospel comes to us in the word, but also in baptism. It's not a different gospel. It's the same gospel, just given in a slightly different way. It's the word of God that comes to the water. Now, if that's true, then I suspect we'll probably find some sort of verse in the Bible that would talk about baptism saving us, like the gospel saves us. Hmm, 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter says, baptism now saves you. And there's a little bit more of a, a context to this. Actually, Peter had been talking about uh, Noah in the days of the flood and how uh, Noah and his family in the ark were saved through water. You know, there was eight and all in that ark, and they were saved through water. And he says this water now symbolizes baptism, which saves you. And some people will say, stop right there. See, the Bible says baptism is symbolic. And I'll say, wait a second. Go backwards, read it again. What is the water that is symbolic there? Uh, it talked about the waters of the flood in Noah's day and how, uh, how it saved him and his family, eight and all. And that water was symbolic, corresponded to baptism, which now saves you. In other words, the water of Noah's day was sort of a foreshadowing of the saving work of baptismal water that now saves you. And then just in case you think you heard him wrong, he goes on and he says it again. It saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as the answer of a good conscience before God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll point out a few things about this. If baptism is merely symbolic, if it's just something external that we do that kind of gives us a picture of what God does to us internally, then the best that baptism could do for you is be kind of like taking a shower or a bath. You know, get the dirt off your body. That's about the best it could do. But what does Peter say? He says it's not the removal of dirt from the body, but it gives us the answer of a clean conscience, a clear conscience, a good conscience before God. And then you might say, well, how? How can it do that? Through the resurrection of Christ. In other words, it's all connected to Jesus. Of course, you know, St. Paul is incredibly consistent with that. He would talk about uh, being buried with Christ and, and rising with Christ when we think about Colossians or Romans chapter 6. So, again, uh, incredibly consistent. The Bible's incredibly consistent. Now, St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, it says that God saved us. So, let's be clear. None of us saved ourselves. It was God who saved us. He says that right there. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Okay, nothing we've done, right? By grace alone. But according to his own mercy. Okay, God's mercy. Yep, that makes sense. Mercy shown to us in Christ. How, how is that mercy brought to us? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Okay, again, people will say that doesn't say baptism. How do you know it's, it's not talking about baptism? I'll say, where is there a, a washing in the New Testament that gives new life? Remember Jesus with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And that brings renewal by the Holy Spirit. Think of 
Peter, Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, oh, Paul's consistent with that. He's consistent with Peter. He's consistent with Jesus. He talks about God working a regeneration and renewal even by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, poured out, baptismal language, right? Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, again, incredibly consistent. And um, those people who would object with what Peter says, baptism now saves, well, consider what the gospel writer Mark himself would record the words of Jesus. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So we don't, we don't pit baptism against faith. We don't pit baptism against belief. The two things go in hand. How do we receive the, the blessings bestowed on, on us in baptism? Well, only by faith. How do we receive faith? Well, in the case of infants, it says through baptism. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter said that on, on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. So, you know, we're not saying anything contrary. This all fits together very well as long as we understand, uh, you know, the direction of baptism and what it bestows, how it's received. And we've talked about those things. So we would say baptism is truly a means of grace. It's, it's a means through which the Holy Spirit brings us the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, uh, brings us the forgiveness of sins, bestows new life, and even salvation. It saves us. That's what Peter says. That's what the scriptures teach. It distributes the treasures of Christ, redemption, uh, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, saves us from death and the devil, right? I mean, because uh, those, those are our, our great three enemies, sin, death, and the devil. Uh, it gives us eternal life and salvation to all who believe this. So we don't say that it works magically, hocus pocus, but it certainly gives us the blessings that it says it gives, and it even bestows faith. Uh, where where it says it does, especially in the case of infants, we think that this is you know the primary way that God would bestow the gift of faith on children. We may not understand how that can be, logically or by reason, but faith is never reasonable. I mean, it's no no less miraculous that adults believe than it is for children. Uh, we are all essentially the Lazarus who Lazaruses who God calls forth from the tomb by His Almighty Word and bestows life upon us who had been dead in our sins and trespasses, as Paul would talk about in Ephesians 2. Uh, but, you know, some people have this idea that, well, you guys are saying that there's something magical about that water. So, you know, that's, it's not true, but I understand why people might say that. How can water do such great things, right? Well, again, I would point out what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, make her holy, how having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Notice that the washing is a combination of water and word. That's the means by which Christ sanctifies his church. He cleanses her, makes her holy. Again, name a washing of water and the word together that's not baptism in the New Testament. You won't find it. So it's the word that gives baptism its power. It's the word that comes to water. It's not that the, the water itself is some sort of magical, but it's certainly an element that Jesus has commanded. We don't say, well, you can baptize with 
uh, Kool-Aid or soda. And somebody would say, well, but that's technically there's water in there, so, you know, it wouldn't be wrong. Uh, let's not get into hypothetical and let's just say you want the blessings that baptism bestows. And we're going to talk about this when we come to the Lord's Supper too. What did Jesus say to use? What did he use? So let's use the same. So that we have confidence, we have the comfort that the sacrament brings. When you start to tinker with it and say, well, what would happen if we use this or that? You, uh, you are actually undercutting the very confidence, the very comfort that the sacrament is intended to bring to you. So it's not ours to play with. Let's just put it that way. We use water. And there's always the hypothetical. What if there's no water around? And, you know, you know people always love to, to throw these hypothetical questions out there and live by those. But we don't. Let's just go with what Jesus says. Now, Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. You know, Peter had said, baptism now saves you. So it's not the water which does these great things, but it's the word of God which is connected with the water, which places the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation into Christian baptism. And the other part of it, we, we certainly would agree that it's faith, which trusts this word of God in the water, uh, accepts this the treasures that are bestowed in baptism and makes them our own. Now, again, in the case of infants, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of faith is also given as Peter would talk about in Acts chapter 2. That's been the practice of the Christian church from the first century on. Uh, you will not find in the first few centuries a church that is not baptizing infants. They're baptizing infants uh, right, away, right, away, right away in the first century. So you're just not going to find that. The idea that uh, you should be some sort of age of discretion or whatever uh, comes way, way, way later. I mean, that's a, that's a relatively more recent notion or idea. Now, again, inevitably somebody will object and it, and it all comes down to this question, you know, can a person be saved without baptism? That's really the most concerning thing for most people. They'll say, see, you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. And that statement is only partially true. Uh, we want to answer the question with what the scriptures themselves teach. Now, first of all, in regard to who is not saved, who is damned, who, who, you know, who is condemned, uh, the scriptures are clear. Jesus would say in Mark 16, he who does not believe is condemned. So it's only unbelief that condemns a person. It's really rejecting the gift that God gives. It's saying, I'm not a sinner. I don't need Jesus to be my Savior. I reject what the gospel gives. I reject what baptism gives. I reject what, you know, those treasures that Jesus says I need or God says I need and those that he bestows, I reject that. So, okay, you're damned by your own fault because you've rejected those things. Now, what about baptism? If we understand that through baptism, God bestows those gifts, just as he does through the word of the gospel, then to reject baptism is to reject what? We're rejecting God. We're rejecting God. We're rejecting Jesus. We're rejecting all of those gifts that Jesus and God says he wants to give us through baptism. So, interestingly enough, we do have a verse that kind of speaks in that way. Remember, John had been baptizing uh, preaching a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, so it's not radically different than Christian baptism as we know it today. It would bring the forgiveness of sins. 
But it says, when all the people heard, this is in Luke chapter 7, by the way, when all the people heard the preaching of Jesus and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God or the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So in rejecting baptism, it says that those Pharisees and lawyers were really rejecting the will of God himself. God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants all nations to be baptized. So in rejecting baptism, you're really rejecting God's will for your life. And think about the treasures that he's bestowing through there. You're rejecting those as well. So I would say you cannot be a believer and be opposed to baptism. The two notions are contrary. What believer would say, yes, I need the forgiveness of sins, I need life and salvation, but I reject baptism. When all the things that the Bible says about baptism, that would be contradictory. You can't have the two things. In fact, that's what that verse essentially says in Luke 7 there. So, now, inevitably, somebody will bring up the example of the thief on the cross and they'll say, aha, see, we got you. We know the thief on the cross was not baptized. Therefore, it just proves you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Uh, It says uh, in Luke 23 of the thief on the cross, uh, one said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. People would say, well, here's the proof. Baptism is not necessary. And I would say, let's back up a second. First of all, What does the scriptures say in regard to baptism? Baptize all nations. Unless one is born of water and the spirit that cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Pretty consistent. Pretty consistent throughout. Not vague at all. Now, uh, this notion that somehow this proves that baptism is not necessary, it, it hangs on a pretty thin line. First of all, how do you know for sure that that thief was not baptized before? How do you know he wasn't baptized by John? We don't. We, we don't know that. So you're, you're assuming something that's true, even though you don't know it for fact. And again, we, we wouldn't deny that there's, you know, is it possible hypothetically that somebody comes to faith through hearing the gospel and then they want the blessings of baptism? They say, okay, uh, I, I'm a believer. I've come to faith through hearing the gospel. I want baptism because I also want that added assurance. That's what it would give me. Even if I already believe, it only adds, it gives me more comfort. What does faith cling to? I'm baptized. I've been had my sins washed away by God, by Christ in baptism. He placed his name upon me. He marked me as his own. He has adopted me as his child. All of those things. But let's set that up for Sunday, Pastor. And then uh, between that and Sunday, That person dies somehow. They get in a car accident, whatever it might be. Tragic. Are they going to hell? That's the big debate, right? Everybody wants to know the question. Uh, They weren't baptized. Does that mean they're going to hell? We'd say no. I mean, they had every intention of being baptized. They didn't reject baptism. They had their their plan was to, to receive that gift of God. And for whatever reason, God called them from this earth. God can do whatever he wants. But the question for you and I is what has he bound us to? And there, the scriptures are incredibly consistent. He's bound us to uh, baptism and to the gospel, which comes to us in baptism. So this, this world of hypotheticals where people want to say, well, what about the case of this? What about the case of that? Uh, I think we just want to be careful. 
you know, none of us can say, what would God do in this situation? Because we're not God. But we would say, what do the scriptures direct us to? And in the meantime, that's what we pay attention to. Uh, We don't limit God, but certainly God has bound us to his word. He's bound us to the means that he says he works through. So uh, that's the message for us. Uh, we We don't say that it's not hypothetically possible for a person to be saved apart from baptism. I'm sure I'm sure it's quite possible for God, but what do the scriptures say? They underscore the importance of this gift, and so should we uh, value it then as well. The other one is that people will often ask, what about stillborn children or infants that are born or die shortly after birth without baptism? Uh, what about children that are aborted and so on and so forth? Again, you're, you're asking us to read the heart of God and say, well, here's what he would do and what he's doing. I, I don't know. I mean, I think you're better off just saying, I don't know, because you don't know. And the scriptures don't say definitively what happens than to give some sort of answer that speaks where God doesn't speak. What I can say is that he wants us to baptize all nations. He wants to bestow the gifts through baptism to all nations, including infants and children, But there are times, even for Christian parents, where they would have every intention to baptize their baby and uh, the the baby is stillborn or it dies shortly after birth. Uh, In those cases, we don't say your child is automatically damned. We, we, We say, I know you had every intention of bringing that child to baptism and God knew that too, but for whatever reason, he chose to take that child before then. And in those cases, we entrust that child into the arms of a merciful and loving God. We know with believers, they had been probably coming to church, they were hearing the word, and you know, even as that child is growing within its mother, it's there with her in church and receiving the gifts of Christ there. That's certainly comforting in those kind of situations. But for unbelievers, we don't have a right to say, well, your baby's automatically in heaven. We just don't know that. What, what comfort can we really add? So we're better off just not saying anything, not answering the question because, you know, God didn't speak in that regard. But he has told us that baptism is important for us and therefore we shouldn't prolong it or put it off or whatever. And a lot of people do this. They'll have children and they'll say, well, we're going to wait five or six months because that's when our in-laws or that's when our relatives will be in town and we want them to be here for the baptism. I would say, let's, let's back up a second. Who's the gift for? Is it for the sake of having a ceremony, a party, or is this a gift that God wants to give to your child? If that's the case, then why would you wait? Why would you say, God wants you to have this gift, child, but I say no. I'm not going to let you have it for— We're going to wait till family gets here. We have a party. Yeah. That would be a bad attitude to have. Now, on the other hand, I think we have to avoid the other extreme, and that's, that's not to say that— you know, uh, as soon as your baby's born, all of a sudden you're racing the clock, right? Because God's just waiting to take that child from you, so you better hurry up and do right. it. Uh, so that would be the other extreme. We, we don't do it in fear. On the other hand, understanding how important this is, understanding the gifts that God bestows through it, we don't put it off. I think the sooner the better. But again, uh, it's not like we're trying to race God who, who really wants to just take this child from us and, you know, uh, you know, make it die or something like that. It's not true. So the Bible says nothing... Uh, about the fate of infants who die without baptism. We know that God gives his church baptism as a way to bring children to faith or to him. We know that God also works faith through his word. 
and that babies still in the womb can hear. While God has bound us to the use of these means, he's not necessarily bound himself. We also know that God always does what is right and that God always does what is loving. And perhaps one reason God gave us no definitive word on this matter is so that we do not neglect to baptize our children as soon as possible. Now, again, uh, we would say that people who ignore Jesus' command about baptism because they think it's trivial or unimportant really are despising Jesus and the gifts that he wants to give, and therefore they cannot be saved. So those who reject baptism are really rejecting the gospel. Uh, But people who believe in Jesus as their Savior will be saved even if for some reason they were deprived of baptism. For whatever reason, they, uh, you know, they, those who would like to have it, they believe, and uh, they get killed on the way there, or they die somehow, or, or uh, in some sort of practical way, it's just not possible for them to be baptized. Well, it, we would say only unbelief condemns definitively. So I guess the question is, you know, for a lot of people, baptism is merely a rite of passage. It's something that you do in entrance into the Christian church, and that's, that's actually a true statement. If we think about it, it's uh, through baptism that God has called us to faith, that he's marked us as his own, that he's walked our sins away, that he's connected us with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Read Romans 6. And so in, in this way, he brings us into the holy Christian church through water. He brings us into the ark, if you will, the ark of salvation. We think about Noah being saved through water. Oh, we're brought into the church through water, the ark of salvation through water. And for that reason, a lot of churches will actually have their baptismal fonts out in the narthex so that when you would enter into the sanctuary, you're actually passing by the very means through which God brought you into his church every time you enter the church. So that's very fitting. Uh, Some churches will place the baptismal font at the front of the church so that when we're sitting there in the pew, it's part of that visual that we see the emphasis that we see visually, in, at least in, in most Lutheran churches, is on the means of grace. We see a baptismal font. We see an altar where Christ's body and blood are brought to us for the forgiveness of sins. We see a pulpit where the good news of Jesus Christ crucified is proclaimed for our salvation. So there we see the sacramental acts of God, the, the things that God does for our sake. And then worship becomes predominantly about those things and only secondarily about our response in prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. Uh, But for much of Christianity today, uh, worship is seen primarily as something that we do for God. I just love to worship God. I just like to, well, uh, yeah, that's true. We do those things too. But worship primarily is about us gathering around Christ's gifts where he gives them, his word and sacraments. So, you know, how do we make use of our, our baptism daily? Or is this just a one-time thing that we did a long time ago? I don't even remember because I was baptized when I was 10 days old, I believe it was. Um, But how do you make use of it? Remember all of the blessings that we said that the scriptures talk about that God bestows through baptism? Certainly, we return to those blessings every day. Uh, We said, what does faith cling to? What is faith's foundation? We would talk about the word of the gospel. How do I know that God loves me? Oh, the Bible tells me so. How do I know that I'm saved? The Bible says that Jesus you know, died for all people, that God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, not imputing man's trespasses against him. Uh, so my faith clings to that, and I know that includes me. Uh, but also, I was baptized. God marked me as his own. He put the name of the triune God on me. Uh, he washed my sins away in Jesus' blood. The Bible talks about 
being washed in the blood of Christ. In the book of Revelation, we think about the saints. These are those who have come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. We don't think about usually washing something with blood, making them white. But in essence, that's what Christian baptism does. In baptism, we're buried with Christ. His death becomes our death. We're risen with Christ. His life becomes our life. And this becomes the language of the New Testament. You know, you know, I died, my life is now hidden with Christ in God. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I mean, we think about all those words of St. Paul. So, in many ways, the, the daily life of a Christian is a return to baptism. And if we think about what happens in baptism, the old Adam and us being drowned with all of his evil lusts and desires— and all of our sins being washed clean so that that new creation, that new man might burst forth in baptism. Uh, Just as Christ rose from the dead, so too we walk in newness of life. St. Paul would talk about in Romans chapter 6. So there's that dying and rising that happens in baptism. In many ways, that's the daily life of a Christian, right? None of us are perfect. So we get up in the morning, we confess our sins, You know, as Luther would talk about, making the sign of the cross. Well, why do we make the sign of the cross? It's in remembrance of our baptism. Sadly, I think a lot of modern Lutherans today don't even see the connection, and they don't even practice it. They they say, well, that's too Roman Catholic or whatever. No, we make the sign of the cross. That's, That's what was done to us in baptism. So when we make the sign of the cross, when we hear the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we rightfully make the sign of the cross on ourselves in remembrance of our baptism. We were marked on our forehead and over our heart by our pastor who, who made the sign of cross there at our baptism. That's not where we stop, right? I mean, so when we confess our sins, even when we do this at the beginning of our liturgy on Sunday morning, that's a really a return to baptism. We drown the old Adam in us with all of his evil lusts and desires by confessing those sins to God, uh, throwing them into the baptismal font, so to speak, uh, dunking the old Adam in us under those waters, so that, that the new man might arise and come forth, the new creation that we are in Christ. So when we hear the words of absolution, that our sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, that, that, that again takes us back to baptism, okay? you know, where our sins were washed away. We revisit that, in other words, every day. It becomes sort of that seedbed from which we live each day. You know, we, we return to baptism every single day in a certain sense, and every Sunday certainly in our liturgy. So how do we make use of our daily baptism? Our baptism daily, I should say. Galatians 3, in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So that's a constant putting on, again. Uh, Of course, you know, when I talk about drowning the old Adam in us with all of his evil lusts and desires, uh, some people would say, well, that bugger, he can swim. So he keeps on popping his head back up. That's why we do it every day. We've got to drown him again, right? Drown him anew. Anybody who's lived a Christian life understands that struggle. You know, the the good that we want to do, we set out with good intentions each day, only to find ourselves falling into some of the same old sins of weakness over and over and over. We we might slander somebody, say something uh, uh, unbecoming about somebody. We might find ourselves being lazy or... or, uh, our eyes drifting to things they shouldn't be drifting, whatever. And that doesn't make it okay, but I'm saying uh, recognizing those weaknesses in us only drives us back to the baptismal font. You know, we want that newness of life that God bestowed on us there. So we, again, uh, confess our sins, we drown the old Adam, and we, we go back to the baptismal life that we've been given. 
As Romans 6 says, we were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we should daily remember our baptism, for this will strengthen us in the faith that in Christ all of our sins were truly forgiven, that we are our children of God. Uh, again, what does faith cling to? I was baptized. Uh, I, I know that's what my faith can cling to. It's something that was outside of me. It's not the inner burning of my heart or my hunches or intuitions. It's something objective. This is what God did for me. Now, think about this. If you teach that baptism is simply your work that you did for God, it's not something that your faith can cling to anymore, is it? Right. So you've robbed baptism of all comfort. Yep. And you basically say that the scriptures lie when it say baptism now saves you. Right? I mean, right? Yeah. you think about the implications of that understanding or that viewpoint of baptism and you say, what? whoa. That changes everything. You're, you're really robbing God of his work. You're really robbing people of the comfort that God bestows. So, again, daily remembering our baptism will admonish us that as children of God, we should avoid all sin. And so rather than seeing it as a license to, to serve sin, it's a reminder that we've been redeemed at a price, that God has claimed us as his own, uh, that you're not your own, therefore glorify God in your, in your body. Right? So we should avoid sin. We should serve God. We, we live under him and his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness uh, by a Christian life. So we seek to, to live a life that brings glory to him and uh, honor to him. So uh, I think there's probably a lot more that we could say about baptism and maybe even should say, but this is a discussion that is always ongoing. And hopefully over the last couple of episodes, We've given you at least some something to think about in order so that you would appreciate your own baptism and make use of it daily. But certainly if you have any questions or comments you know, that you'd like us to address, feel free to send an email uh, to us. So for Under the Oaks, this is Pastor Trent Sari. Then I'm Lauren Thompson. Join us next time. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.